Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. Um, the uh, show that brings you all the latest from the week gone past and looking forward to the weekend ahead. An esteemed company, uh, my rich colleagues, Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror. Um, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star. Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado of the Daily Express. Thanks so much for... Uh, joining us, guys, on the Football Digest podcast this week. Lots to lots to uh, get stuck into, really. Reaction to uh, Chelsea Atletico last night, uh, where a couple of us w- were, and perhaps looking forward also to the Champions League draw on Friday. Uh, England squad later, so that's uh, interesting. And um, and we're going to have a little bit, hopefully have a little bit of fun at the end, um, sort of about press conferences as well, perhaps. Uh, so uh, please join us for that. Um, but listen, let's start with last night's action. Um, and in, in particular, Chelsea v Atletico. It was quite interesting that Thomas Tuchel um, said after the game that basically we shouldn't be afraid of anyone and no one will want to face us. Matt, you were there with me last night at Stamford Bridge. So what did you make of A, Chelsea's performance last night? And is, is Tuchel right to be so bullish? I, I guess he's, he's got the stats to prove it at the moment. I'm beaten in 13 games. What a start for him. I was going to say, you wouldn't want to be next out of the hat and told it's your turn to try and beat them. Right, right now, I thought they were really good last night. I have to say, I thought... Atletico were poor, but I think that's partly because uh, Chelsea made them poor. Uh, didn't give them anything from the first whistle. Uh, and uh, yeah, he was also said last night that, you know, it wasn't pretty, but they were ready for the physical challenge that anyone's going to throw at them. And I think when you go to Stamford Bridge now, especially, and also in the away games, you're going to have a fight on your hands if you're going to, you know, come through any two-legged tie. Um, and there's a certain amount of belief there. Kante's back to the old Kante. I thought he was exceptional last night. Uh, every time I sort of glanced up from writing, he seemed to be on the ball, whether it was at right back, left wing, wherever, he just seemed to be in the middle of everything. And, you know, and you just saw him build everything. And, and you know, it worked. Given they're not supposed to be able to score any goals, they got a couple um, without Mason Mount or Tammy Abraham in the team. And, yeah, there was very little you could say. I mean, they were dead lucky with the penalty, I think. It was, although yeah. I have to say... Before VAR, that's never a penalty in the in the old school because I, I was lucky, you know, how they stretch us out all the way along the pitch at Sanford Bridge. I think I was a bit further along from you, but it happened directly, literally directly in front of me. And you could see the smile on his face as he was looking at the assistant as he went down. And yeah, it was one of those that, yes, there was an arm across his, his sort of tummy, but almost to save himself from hurting himself because he was so determined to throw himself to the ground. You know, it was one of those that you'd never have given in the old days. But, but yeah, VAR in a different night might have made it a very different game. And then who knows where we're then saying Tuchel's a myth and, uh, you know, it's all a busted flush and it's all over for Chelsea. But, but no, until that happens. But they didn't I, even check it, Matt. They didn't even check it. They didn't ask. I'm sure they checked it. I'm sure they didn't ask the referee to look again. Well, my but, learned friends at BT Sport were suggesting on the match coverage, so I'm reliably informed that unless it was a, um, unless it was a major incident, then perhaps they don't. Well, perhaps that's been a bit disingenuous. They don't check it in the in the kind of the um, you know vigorous way that we might do in, in the Premier League. A little casual look, um, perhaps rather. Yeah, than I think that's with, probably you know, what they said. Check, and they said, you know. do you know what? You 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 don't have to give that mainly because they're probably in that casual look. All I could see was the imploring mm. look on um, Carrasco's face. Mm. As he went down, and it was just an old school attempt to, to win a penalty cheaply. You know, if you believe in yourself, stay on your feet, go past him, 
he's clearly mopped up on his back pass. Um, you know, go and put the ball in the net. But but yeah, it was kind of a, a brief moment of old school football kicking in in this modern world, which you think, you know, yeah, I, I was pleased to see it anyway. Uh, and I think in the end, the, the right result was was achieved as a result of it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And Andy, what do you uh, what do you think? I know you know Thomas Tuchel now. Is he right to have that kind of really confident assertion that Chelsea can you know be serious players in this competition? Um, well, you'd be surprised if he wasn't confident. What I would say is that I read all those. Uh, I read it. You know, I read it many many times that you know no one will be happy or um, if they draw Chelsea out the hat tomorrow, which I guess might be right, but I guess no one will be happy if they draw Bayern Munich out of the hat tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be overly happy if I drew Manchester City out of the hat tomorrow. I wouldn't be absolutely dancing for joy if I drew Liverpool out of the hat, etc., etc. You know, I mean, I mean, it's a cliche, but there are no easy draws tomorrow. And certainly, uh, if you had to choose between Chelsea and Man City, I- I'll bet you the other six will probably choose Chelsea even though they're on this unbeaten run. Um, I saw Chelsea last week at uh, Ellen Road, um, and I was quite impressed. I've been quite impressed the number of times I've seen them under Tuchel. I just think it's a bit early to go overboard, um, like everyone went overboard about Frank Lampard in the previous regime. So I think you know people maybe should heed a lesson there, and maybe let's see over a longer piece about, about how he does. Um, I still think there's an issue in terms of getting the best out and going forward. But, you know, it's, it's just starting. It really, really is just the, the beginning of... What I would say is that, is that what I, I do look at them and I think, you know what, in terms of physical fitness, which I think will be more and more important as this season wears on, I really do. I just think physical durability will be absolutely key to what happens towards the end of this season. And Chelsea look absolutely in great condition. You know, there's a, I did see them away when they won at Anfield. And I thought one of the big differences was they looked fitter. They looked faster. They looked sharper. You know, their movement was, was great. You know, they, again, they matched Leeds United, for example, for their physical commitments and movements on Saturday, um, which is some going. And I think that's, I mean, they've really bought into that. You know, it's very much a modern way. Um, and they've really bought into that. So, yes, they'll be they'll, they'll be tough. You know, I wouldn't go overboard. Uh, I would still have them down, you know, as behind City um, and sitting behind Bayern Munich in the bookmakers' odds. I don't know what they are, but, I, but I'm guessing they'll be sort of, you, know, listen, you wouldn't want to draw any of those teams, would you? So I think that's a bit, you know, Yes, they can be confident, but I would just for the minute just temper the um, the accolades for Tuchel. Mm, foot on the ball, foot, on, foot the ball. on the ball, mate. Yeah, yes, I mean, foot on the ball. I, I, I love what, what Matt says about Kante. He has been superb, and yeah. it's funny. I think one of our one of our colleagues, I can't remember which one who it was, and, and I do him a disservice. It was was it Philippe O'Claire? One of our who basically said that like, this idea that Kante is everywhere. He's not. He's just always in the right place at the right time again. And, that, and that's exactly what he's doing. And, you know, I, I bear in mind, he didn't even, I don't think he even started the game at, at Ellen Road. So they've got a squad whose depth probably doesn't quite match Manchester City's, but it's not far off. 
Yeah, no, it is, it is a remarkable um, transformation and can take, you know, fancy that playing him in his best position, um, midfield anchor man. <laughs> it will never catch on. Um, <laughs> it's your, Europe's best anchor man, arguably, and, and fancy that. He plays really well when he plays there. Uh, Jeremy, do, do, where do you, you know, the, the draw is tomorrow. It, it, it's three English teams out of eight. I do still think that last year, you know, a lot of people fell, I'm sure you didn't, my friend, but uh, fell into the trap of kind of, you know, almost overlooking Bayern Munich, who then, you know, proved to be the best team by some distance in Europe, didn't they, uh, ultimately? Where, where is the power this year? Who, who, who are the favourites? Do, you know, does this represent a, a, a sort of a, a power shift back towards English football, dominated sort of rounds in previous years? Where, where do you see it? Not really. I mean, we we flirt with these latter stages of the competition, don't we? I mean, we had two teams in the final two years ago with Liverpool and Tottenham, which was a dreadful final. We were all there. It's a, it's a rubbish game. But no, look, I think Bayern, I was looking at there, they obviously breezed through last night. I think they're unbeaten in something like 21 Champions League games now. So while they appear to go through the motions at home in the Bundesliga, um, in Europe, it's um, it's a different monster. So I think they're the team to beat. City, obviously, a lot of people are tipping them this season and there are various reasons why they should go on and at least get to the final. I worry for City's if they played Bayern Munich over two legs, they might come a cropper. I think they might beat them in a one-off game, but over two legs, I think Bayern might be too strong for City. But I don't know. City are such a hard sort of they're a conundrum, are they? In Europe, they, they, they do this every year. They get through to the quarterfinals with ease, and then Guardiola starts tinkering with his team selection and tactics, and it all implodes. I mean, the fact he's not gotten past the quarterfinals is remarkable, really, when you think about it. All the success he's had, all the players yeah. he's had at his disposal, all the money he's spent to not even get to the last four is staggering, really. And it's a monkey on his back. It really is. You know, look, he, he, whatever happened between now and leaving City, he would leave a legacy of countless trophies. But if he never wins a Champions League, that will be a stain on his um, reputation. Mm. So the pressure's on City. Um, and, you know, they really need to step up. But like Dunny said, you look at the teams left in, it's, 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 this is where, this is when the Champions League is, mm. is starts to become worth watching, really. The problem for City is, and other teams, no doubt, they've played, they've played some sides that are just not on their level. They're not mm. being tested. I mean, <laughs> they got through so easily um, this week. It was embarrassing to watch almost. It's like watching a Premier League game against a League One team in the FA Cup. Yeah. So, you know, they are, they're not battle hardened when they get to the quarterfinals and sometimes it can cost them. And obviously they could draw Liverpool, they could draw Chelsea. I mean, if they drew Liverpool, obviously they've got a, gone out to Liverpool a couple of times. So, um, yeah, it should be interesting. Whatever happens in the draw, there'll be some fantastic games. Mm. I'll tell you what, Edison could have put his feet up the other night. And frankly, Jeremy, you yeah. deserve a great deal of credit for keeping your focus well enough. It was such a one-sided match to, to keep your focus, pal, for the match before. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, to the the match, right to the end, John. <laughs> Clinical. <laughs> <laughs> At least 80 minutes. And I had a gin and tonic at half-time as well. It still didn't, still didn't affect me. Well, I have to say, I do think your second half... I'm not kidding, better, So maybe you should I, make it... I, I, I put a I put a Saki tweet out during the second half saying, I reckon 
City could have played without a goalkeeper in that game and still won. I know that sounds ridiculous, but they were so dominant. I reckon they could have had rush goalie and still gone through. Yeah, I mean, Munch and Gladbach are in a mess, aren't they? I felt sorry for them. I mean, yeah. they seven, they're obviously in a horrific slump. Yeah. The manager, Marcus Rose, Marco Rose, has obviously decided to announce he's leaving. So, mm. you know, that's clearly affected the players. They've yeah. lost seven games on the trot now. I think they're 10th in Bundesliga. I felt yeah. sorry for them, really, because they were so happy to get through. For the first time ever to the last to the last 16 stage and obviously it backfired on them because the play yeah. came up against the city side it just gave them a, a complete schooling and it was embarrassing them mm. and, and listen, listen don't forget don't forget city do this to premier league teams and, and yeah know, so let, let's not get too um like snooty about about standard of bundesliga city you know city beat burnley by five as a matter of course don't they you know, normally this, this happens you know city scored 100 whatever goals it is across all competitions. That was the highlight of the night, wasn't it? Trying to add up how many goals they'd scored. And and they, um, uh, they've scored, you know, so they're doing it to a lot of sides. You know, they're a phenomenally good side. Um, but I, I agree with Jeremy. I do think, you know, whether or not they're going to be battle-hardened for what could be, you know, what will be, you know, a mega test in the quarterfinals. You don't know. Yeah. On, the only thing I think about that, Andy, is that, and it's an interesting point, is that, you know, without wanting to be little England in here, because I do actually watch a hell of a lot of, you know, European football generally, I just don't mm. understand why, you know, Leipzig, who have been, you know, often in in last two or three seasons, um, uh, Munich's sort of kind of biggest, yeah. um, you know, uh, rivals really uh, for, for silverware and biggest competitors. And indeed Atletico, who have, you know, had a really extraordinary um, uh, sort of season. Uh, yeah. The form's falling away slightly. Um, the, the uh, you know, a little bit um, of late. I was just so surprised that they offered so little as, as competition um, for, for Chelsea. I just don't understand it. You know, I don't know whether what that says is a reflection. I mean, Real, I watched the Real Madrid game for, for a lot of the other night and I was distinctly underwhelmed by them, you know, it's in, in Barcelona in crisis. It's straight, it's a strange European sphere this year, you know, in terms of like the leading, leading lights. And, and that's what makes me, you the know. The thing is, we've had a conversation now for 10 minutes about the Champions League. We've not even mentioned the fact Real Madrid are in the, in the hand. Yeah. You know, the, the, the most successful team ever in Europe. They are yeah. per- perennial challenges, but we've not even mentioned them. Mm. Yeah, Real Madrid. I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, yeah, you're right, John, Real Madrid, you know, I mean, and, and, and we're talking big, big, you know, every one of these teams are, are giants of European football. And I'm, I'm answering your question, John, I just guess it's it's like, you know, let's go Madrid, okay, well, they were beaten by Chelsea, but, you know, that's about, there's no surprise there. Wouldn't have been surprised if they'd beaten Chelsea. You know, it was quite close. Mm. For a lot of across a lot of the year, uh, hundred eighty minutes. So I, I guess, I, I guess that's it's Andy, isn't it? That's the beauty of it. They've all got them to that last eight by sporting merit, form, winning football matches. So yeah. when all this talk's going on about you know places based on yeah. coefficients and everything, it kicks out of the water. It also shows you, as Jeremy said, the rest of the tournament to this point has been pretty ordinary. We're not interested yeah. in numbers nine to thirty-six. It's about the best teams in Europe facing off against each other. And you know, and when I looked at that, the, the survivors they put it up on I think the BBC feed last night. 
So these are the eight names in the hatch. You look at that and think, yeah, come on, I'm going to look forward to watching yes. that. And so too can Juventus look forward to watching that, and so too can Barcelona. And that's the way it has to be. You know, you're yes. good enough to be there, you're in there. If you're not good enough, you don't just yeah. fight your way in or go in through the back door. Let's yeah. keep it to football. And, and, and that's all the Champions League needs to keep doing, serving up quarterfinal draws like this one. Who's your money on crossing? Arsenal. Again, no. Look, I, I, I'll be perfectly honest. By Munich, I, yeah. I just felt like last se- last season. I remember when, when you know, yeah, I saw Bayern Munich a couple of a couple of times earlier, earlier, in, earlier in the competition. Uh, you, you know, what was it against against Tottenham, wasn't it? And then basically, mm. um, you, you know. Um, uh, uh, and then, and then, you know, I just thought that their their performance actually at Stamford Bridge in that first leg, I just left that game, and then obviously we had the big break between the two games, clearly, and I just thought, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, no one's going to stop these guys, and I basically I couldn't I couldn't quite understand why we went through the latter stages of that competition with everyone saying, "Oh, Man City are favourites," you know, the favourites with the bookies as they were. You know, despite having a sort of an indifferent season domestically, um, you know, and having seen them, as I say, you know, in the past couple of seasons, you know, destroy English opposition. I just thought mm. then no one's going to no one's going to stop them, and I just think they've basically potentially got got a little bit stronger. Again. I think yeah, yeah. I, I think it's funny about City because I, I think City is it, it really is going to be fascinating with them mm. fighting on four fronts, and I think. I'm looking at that team the other night. I think the big thing for City in the Champions League, and Jeremy referenced the fact that, you know, he starts tinkering with his teams, et cetera, when it comes down to this stage. And he will have to, and he does anyway. You know, he's probably making half a dozen changes per game now, isn't he, at the moment? And I think that's going to be the key, but it'll come down to is, is it what team does he play? Let's say he draws Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. What team does he play? What is, he's going to have to decide what his best team is because his best team is the one that he'll need to win the Champions League. And at the moment, you're looking at it and you're thinking, what is it? And, and strangely enough, those of us who were, who were sort of doing what we call a second piece from the game, I mean, obviously, like Jeremy and our, our colleague David um, were doing the match reports on the game. And those of us who were just trying to find something else to write about on Tuesday night, a lot of us focused in on on someone who wasn't playing. That was Raheem Sterling. Yeah. You know, and his situation, you know, does does Sterling make Pep Guardiola's best 11 at the moment? You know, and it's a fascinating question in the sense that he's going to have to decide this when he comes to the big, big games in the Champions League. Who makes it there? You know, it's okay, Marvin at his bench. He's got you know ten brilliant players on the bench, but he's going to have to pick the best eleven. You know, thing is as well, Donny. If you remember back to last season when they played Leon, he almost sent a team out that was more concerned with what Leon yes. were going to do, how they were going to play. Instead of focusing on what they could do to, to Leon, it, it yeah. was the flip side of that, and it, it cost them dearly, and they were embarrassed in the end. Now, he shouldn't be doing that, because he's got a vast array of talent at his disposal, and he should be confident in being able to pick a team that he thinks can go out there and impose themselves on any side, including Bayern Munich. You don't think like that. You, you, you shouldn't be in the competition. So mm. when I see someone like Tuchel saying... We, we can we can we can go on and win this. We can we can do well. It's refreshing, I think. So whenever Guardiola's yes. asked about winning the Champions League, he just hides away. 
Yeah, we hide away from the quadruple at the moment as well. Yeah, but, you know. but why not? Why? I mean, yeah. you know, in this in, before the game this week, Zinchenko was the player put up for us. We asked him about the quadruple. He said, "Why not? You know, we, we, why not? We, we can do it." And then Guardiola came in and said, was asked, told what um, Zinchenko had said, and he hit the roof basically and said he shouldn't be saying stuff like that. Basically, he needs to focus on the, to this game and not. Yeah, start dreaming of what a quadruple. He's, he needs to focus on getting himself a game. Some stage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but the point is, you sh- if you think you can do something, you shouldn't be afraid to say it. Yeah, you know, you shouldn't. Yeah, try and not lie, but just hide away. I don't, so fair play to Tuchel for standing up and saying, "Why can't we go and win it?" I think I think that lays down a challenge to the players. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a good. I think that can yeah. work mentally, you know, get, gets into the mindset, you know. Don't, yeah. don't do, that. Right. do you remember? Do you remember? He's not afraid of that, though, is he? Because he set down that 100 point mark mm. for his players. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he's not afraid of setting it. So I think he's just worried about them thinking big picture and not it's, focusing. Yeah. Oh, this is an easy one. We're pushing for the quadruple. Mm. We can knock these over and then play. He just wants some focusing at the here and now. <laughs> uh, I do kind of understand that. Yeah, do you remember? Do you remember in in, in the run up to the summer of two thousand eighteen? You know, England players were were actually under orders to say they can win the World Cup, weren't they? Do you remember? We, yes, you know, yes, we, we would always throw in the question, "Can you win the World Cup?" <laughs> and, <laughs> and we win it. You know, and if someone just actually nods or shrugs or picks his nose or <laughs> sort of looks sort of vaguely positive in response to your inane question about whether you not win the World Cup, you go, yes, you know, with so and so, Harry Kane says, "Bring it on!" You know, cry. Right, King George or whatever you call it, we're going to win the World Cup. And actually, you know, in the past, so sort of people have said to them, "Listen, don't say that. Don't say you can win the World Cup. They'll all think we're arrogant, like you know, whatever." Yeah. And this time around, at the last World Cup, the thing was, don't shy away from saying we can win the World Cup because, after all, that's what you're there for. And I think that's right. You know, after all, that is what you're there for is to win every tournament. That's what City are there for to win every competition they go in. Hence, every competition they're in adds up to the quadruple. So it is like, you know, I'd rather have them say that and go, like, you know, than each game. I mean, it literally does feel now, I think, this season, that the taking each game as it comes um, philosophy in line has just reached peak levels, hasn't it? It really yeah. has. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just... I tell, I tell you what, the, the, one of the ones that really made me laugh, Danny, from the, from the 2018 yeah. World Cup, talking about building up expectations. So we'll come up on sort of line about sort of the press and press conferences. Oh, we did it was later. Basically. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. So basically, basically, before England played Croatia in the in the in the World Cup semi final. Now we were all there, right, guys? Yes. And then basically, I remember. Be England players and England management being so respectful about Croatia and yes. basically, you know, saying saying that what a good team they were, really, really yes. sort of kind of, you know, doing anything but but talking them down. And then you had Luka Modric talking Luka about Modric. The disrespect, disrespect of the England players and England set up and the English press. <laughs> It's in your imagination, Luke. Oh, yeah. They could have been more respectful had they turned up in red and white check, couldn't they? You, you know, yeah. it, it was just absolutely ridiculous. But I think it was the footballs coming home, wasn't it? It's probably us yeah. actually complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I kind of went into war with kind of, you know, our erstwhile friends from sort of the other sort of um, uh, parts of the media in sort of other other countries, and they're saying, "Oh, you know, you're arrogant because of the England. You know, football's coming home." It's no, you've lived here how long, and you still don't understand the sort of kind of meaning of this song. Anyway, yes. anyway, anyway, I, anyway. I and we should we should also get on to just tying in with Man City there. 
I do think um, uh, Man City obviously going to perhaps uh, into the the FA Cup tie this weekend, Everton Man City, mm. and what a, what a test that is. I mean, Ever- Everton have you know had some ups and downs, um, but recently, and you know, obviously most notably last weekend with Burnley. But I think we all know that they are very capable this season of, of, of producing good performance. Not so much in Goodison, it has to be said, but mm. um, but you know, they're, they're, they're this is a bit. It feels like a really big tie and a massive test, isn't it, for for, for City and indeed Everton? It's going to be. Hopefully, you know, you mentioned Everton's form at Goodison. One of the best performances at Goodison um, was actually in, was in the FA Cup against Spurs. Um, you know, the um, the five four, um, and it, it, it's you know that was as good as they played probably in patches. Other than that, you know, they've been pretty underwhelming in some games, not bad um, in others. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's big this is for Everton. You know, the quarterfinal of, of the FA Cup is, is, it's, I remember when they were in the quarterfinals against um, Wigan Athletic and, you know, it was almost a given that Everton would, would get through. And they didn't. And, and that, was, that was a blow to them that they, they took a long while to recover from. And so I think I think it's a really, really, you know, this is a game that Everton will will obviously be be really motivated for, but then so will City because for all the Pep says there's no Q word, the Q words banned, they will be thinking about it. So it should be a cracking game. You have to say though, I mean, you know, it is just so hard to see to see City slipping up. Um, you know, I mean, obviously they were beaten by United, but you know they've won what, what is it now? Twenty four out of the last twenty five games. It's remarkable. No, it is, it is absolutely astonishing. Matt, Matt, do you see, you know, do, do you see another City win, Everton? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Andy. I think it's hard to back against the City win at the moment. Now they seem to have got their defence sorted out. Um, it's another City that I'm intrigued by in the FA Cup this weekend, though. Leicester City. I wonder if this is his chance to, Brennan's chance to get a, get a trophy to, to go with, you know, the good work he's been doing out. It's when it comes down to this sort of stage of the competition that you write off the FA Cup, but you realise that actually Solskjaer could do with a trophy. Brendan Rodgers would like to win one. Uh, and suddenly it, it all becomes a bit more serious. But but that's the other tie, I think, that, that is of particular interest because I mm. think the competition winner is going to come from one of those two quarterfinals. Mm, yeah, I agree with you. I don't know who you're talking about when you say people write off the FA Cup. I certainly don't. Certainly not your um, job. No, 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 no. And I must have just noticed you're obviously not in your Rothmans room. Oh, kids yeah. after school. It's, I come out of my little Zoom cupboard. Oh, okay. Freedom. Okay. So, uh, so lovely, yeah. to, lovely to see this shade yeah. done. Pack the kids off. The, the done mansion in all its glory. So, yes, I creep out of my cubby hole. Right, very and, good. Uh, yes, where I've been hibernating all winter. Right, They're excellent, excellent. Pleased to see you. Uh, Jeremy, I mean, obviously Man United, you, you know, as we record this, Man United are playing tonight in, in the Europa League, but I do think that's a very good point. You know, it's, it feels like it's, 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 you know, Brendan Rodgers has done such a good job at Leicester, you know, but it would be great for him, I guess, to, to put down a marker of, of that kind of progress that he's made at the King Power. And then for Man United... I mean, you know, until Solskjaer wins a trophy, I do still think we'll be, we'll be always having this, you know, conversation about Solskjaer, won't we, really? Do, do, do you see it as an absolute necessity for, for Solskjaer to win a trophy? Uh, this well, yeah, because ultimately that's how many we judge, well, I judge managers on how many trophies they've won. Mm-hmm. Look, there are, there are great managers who don't win trophies, but but 
the cream of the crop do. They win the games that count. They mm. lost three semi-finals last year. Um, so, you know, there's more pressure on Solskjaer heading into this weekend than there is on Rodgers. I mean, I think Rodgers, look, it would be great if he could get Leicester to a cup final, even win it, because he's done a fantastic job there. And that would be recognition um, of what he's achieved there since he took yeah. over. But really, you know, Leicester's priority for me is finishing in the top four and getting in the Champions League. Anything mm. else is a bonus, really. Mm. Whereas at United, it's totally different because... Winning trophies is part of that club. It's what fans expect. They don't hope. They expect to win trophies. Mm. I've not won one since 2017, which is four years ago. I mean, that's that's a long time for a club of United's history and standing in the game to go without winning anything of any note. So mm. there's pressure. It's, it's, the longer it goes on, the more pressure it, it will be on Solskjaer's holes and it will be a black mark against his name. Yeah, I, 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 I think... <laughs> Right, there's huge pressure on the fans. Got a huge pressure on the fans for, for Solskjaer to win a trophy. What, what I don't think, uh, and I think slightly bizarrely, is I don't think there's huge pressure from the people who decide whether to, you know he stays in a job or not. Mm. I don't think there's huge pressure from those people as long as he finishes top four. So the pressure from Ed Woodward, the fresh, the pressure from the Glazers. I mean, it's top four. I honestly think that if he if Solskjaer finishes top four, that is fine by them. That's that's enough by them. When they made this um, these the, the recent appointments, you know, um, as technical director um, mm. and football director, and you've got Ed Woodward and then Solskjaer, it's, it's it seems to me that they you know they they're happy with that setup and happy mm. with Solskjaer's part in that setup. It's quite a cozy little now. Sort of four ball to a certain extent, and they're happy with that. The only the only thing that can that can cause a problem is if they don't qualify for the Champions League. So I think actually Solskjaer, while he must be aware that, that, that you know what Jeremy says is right, it's under enormous pressure from their huge fan base to win trophies, and that's what Manchester United should be all about. Mm-hmm. While he must feel that, I, I suspect he actually knows from his own personal point of view in terms of job security in terms of um, the most important thing he has to deliver for the small but select few, i.e. Edward Wood, the Glazers and the shareholders is top four football. And that, you know, if you said to, if you said to Edward Wood, if you said to the Glazers now, okay, you've got, you know, here's the two options. You know, you win the FA Cup, but you don't qualify for the Champions League. Well, you finish top four and qualify for the Champions League, but you don't win the FA Cup. I think we all know exactly which one they'd be uh, going for, and it wouldn't be the tradition, history, and glory of the beloved FA Cup. No, I remember Crossy that Mourinho, although he didn't last that long at Man United, mm. it all turned sour. He won two trophies. Yeah, you know, yeah. he hasn't to talk about it, does he? No. no, 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 no. He won three trophies, did he not? Three trophies. Well, because two, two obviously, obviously we're including three. finishing second. <laughs> no, you know, it's his greatest achievement. <laughs> no, but you know, that, that, I'm joking. It was never going to be a glorious 10 year spell for Mourinho at um, United, but he, he did a reasonably good job, you know, won the Europa yeah. League to get them into the Champions League. Yes. Which winning the Europa League, I know it's a much maligned competition, it seems to last forever. <laughs> But it's a hell of an achievement winning the Europa League because it's such a slog. Yeah. And you yeah. knew he had to do it. Yeah. yeah. To get them back and in the Champions League. I'd like to mention much is the fact that he's won it every time he's been in it. 
Yes, yes, yeah. No, 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 no. I agree. And and the other thing was about that season, Jeremy, is that basically you you know you touched on it there. Is that basically I, I remember going to the game at Southampton when Man United effectively wrote the game off. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I can't remember whether they, they they won or drew in the end. I think they drew, but it was towards the end of the season, and 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 frankly, you know, didn't play particularly well. But he put all his eggs in the Europa League basket because he felt that basically that was a better chance and more guaranteed of, of, of you know, getting them back in the Champions League next season. Yeah, fair play to and, him. Yeah. And what's wrong, Matt? What is wrong with, with, with reminding people of your successes? If you entered Wimbledon three times and won it every year, you'd tell, you'd brag about it, wouldn't you? Of course I would. I would say that um, middle Wimbledon, a couple of years ago, I played uh, in an event with uh, uh, Gabi Muguruza and Martina Hingis. I played a bit of doubles with them in a, in a press event, and both of those were lifting trophies at the end of the season, at the end of the next <laughs> week. Really? So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm an object to do it myself, but but you know, but I'll blow, I'll blow that particular trumpet. No, the only time I played it, the only time I played on the Emirates pitch, basically ended up with winning a trophy. So played in a press tournament, won the trophy. I, I never ever mentioned the fact that. I beat Graham Stack with two or three, two for my three shots from outside the box in a. In a I thought you were a goalkeeper. Do you mean beat Graham Stack? Hey, I thought you were a goalkeeper. I'm not a goalkeeper. I'm, I'm a yeah, classy fullback. Oh, you should know that by now. Turn goalkeeper. I was saying. Turn they call you the cat for different reasons then, did Turn goalkeeper because I've got a bit of a bad back. So where do you put a bloke with a bad back in goal? <laughs> uh, anyway, but there you go. Um, <laughs> I, I, I digress and we shouldn't much longer. I, should, I, I must point out actually on, on, the, on the final word on Solskjaer was that basically, I mean, our colleague Steve Bates the other day, mm. very, very well connected at, at Old Trafford, as we know, was saying that basically about Solskjaer on a new contract. And that really caught my eyes, kind of as, as a sort of a huge story and a bit of a sort of a seismic moment, frankly, just because it feel, felt like it, 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 it's, you know, for that, it feels like a bit of a turning point, really, because you know, <laughs> various points this season, we've been on this show saying yeah. that Solskjaer must go, and now he could get a new <laughs> i tell you what, Crossy, when, when they beat Man City, um, I left the ground thinking... You know what? That'll that'll keep that'll keep him in a job for another six months at least. Yeah, like maybe yeah, yeah. a year. <laughs> and lo and behold, a lot of talking about giving him a new contract. Toscar's got this amazing ability to pull a rabbit out of the hat when he has yeah. to, i.e. City or yeah. like PSG in the Champions League. Yeah. yeah. And he and he curries so much favour with Ed Woodward. They're so close, those two. They have a strong relationship and it's starting to dawn on us now. I think that things have got to be going to have to get really, really great. <laughs> Isn't that a sign of what's a little bit not quite lined yes. up with Manchester United? Yes. In that Woodward's trying to get Solskjaer to sign a new contract to fend off interest from who exactly? Yeah. It's not like you well, can have the time we turn to Mulder, of course. Well, well, exactly. Well, if Mulder come knocking, then you've got to go with your heart, haven't you, really? And turn down the most lucrative job in football. I mean, Van Gaal won the FA no, Cup and got sacked in Why would they be talking about a new contract unless there's something mentally askew up there that 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 makes blindsides them to, to what's actually going on? You know, there's, there's no reason to give Solskjaer a new contract at the moment, whether you think he's doing a good job or not. 
Yeah, yeah I, I do still think if you step back from it, you make an, a, a a kind of you know if you separate yourself from from the emotional attachment. I think that basically you'd have to say they're making progress. But I think that basically, you know, we judge Man United. The point is that I think that we judge Man United to a higher standard, don't we? Because for, yeah. for most of our working lives, we, we, we've regarded Man United as the biggest club in in the country, if not Europe. You know, it's the biggest club in the world, John. I mean, that's the thing. That's what they are. They are the biggest club in the world for everything that's going on. Here's a thought for you. Liverpool went 30 years without winning the title. That could that could United do the same? Could it could it happen? Yes, it could happen. Oh yes, of course it can happen. You know, it's nearly a decade now. Yeah, and you've got some incredibly powerful teams around, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it can happen if City stay. You know, in their in their current sort of way of thinking and their, their, their current setup, then, you know, I mean, I mean, listen, what if Pep only, what if Pep does stay for another couple of years, a couple of two, three years, that's probably two, three years United without the title. You know, all, all these clubs, you know, the so-called big six are all showing no particular signs of slowing down. Arsenal may be, which, yeah, they could do Germany. They, they could easily do that. I think, I think the bigger concern, I think, for United, what slightly disappoints me about United is there? Is there? And I, I like Solskjaer. I think you know. I mean, I really like him. I think he's a really personal guy. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't get carried away when they're doing well, and he doesn't get particularly down when they're when they're getting beaten. He he dealt with it with Pogba and the agent thing. You know, absolutely brilliantly, just like he so did, what, basically, he? Yeah, absolutely. So what? He, he, he dealt with it far better. I suspect than we actually dealt with it, and. Um, you know, I, I don't like him. He's just such a nice bloke, isn't he? You know, I, I'm, mm. I, I, I'm, I'm good. But what my disappointment is that is I still look at United, you know, and you know what? I don't think they're absolutely brilliant to watch. I really don't. You know, I, 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 as a as, as someone without any Manchester United um, allegiance or non-allegiance, I am completely and utterly neutral about whether United do well or not. I, I look at them and I still don't recognise in in a lot of games. Um, United style and tradition. I don't see, even though I look at the players, I think it actually should be there. They've got enough good, exciting players for them to play in that way. But I still think, you know, if you're going, if you're a neutral and you're going to pay your money to watch a team, it's going to be a city. It's going to be probably not right at this very moment, but certainly for the last two or three years, it's going to be a Liverpool. Mm. It might be a Leeds United, um, even. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I just don't think that at the moment he hasn't got that. That identity that I think United fans would want. But you don't look forward to going to watch them no. play, do you, Dunny? You no, go I don't thinking, think so, no. All right, they're probably going to win 2 yeah. nil, but they're not going to have you on the edge of your seat. No, they don't. You go watch, or well, you used to watch, go to watch Liverpool, like last season particularly, you'd think, Craig, are you going to get yeah. to, a, to a, a football show, like with City this season? So... Look, I, 30 I, years is a long time, isn't it? To not win absolutely. A title. If Sheikh Mansour continues to own Man City, he will continue to spend yeah. a lot of money because he's got the deepest pockets in football. So, yes. you know, they will always be on a level above Man United. Yeah. And I just think it's interesting, even, you know, sort of, you know, what you would call, you might call landmark results like another victory over City the other week. I mean, great, you know, and, that's, and, and fans will get a lot of pleasure out of that to a certain extent. It, there still has to come a time when you can't play in that way as Manchester United, i.e. you can't just simply play on the counter-attack. You mm. can't play against City and 
just accept that City are going to have a lot more of the football. You can't play into Liverpool and accept that Liverpool are going to have a lot more of the football. You are Manchester United. You know, you are there to dominate games. I know that's a, maybe an idealistic point of view, but I think there comes a time when, when you know, okay, you might get results like you've got against City. But in the end, you know, there comes a time when you've got to be the ones on the front foot. And I just think too often, they're not the ones on the front foot. No, no, it's, it's a very good point. Now, mm. you, you, you guys threw up there the kind of, you know, who's good to watch. And, uh, you know, Leeds United, right up there for me this season. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Sharp, in a breath. Matt, Matt getting very excited about the prospect of talking about Leeds, who, who you might know that yeah. Matt used to cover with, with, you know, great distinction a few years back. Yeah. Um, but look, guys, you know, England squad, we, we, we're oh. expecting Patrick Bamford, you know, which created a lot of debate to, 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 to be in it. Uh, you know, Bamford is actually, I mean, I looked at that, you know, just to check actually, because saw saw online that he got uh, 13 Premier League goals this season. I had to sort of kind of double check it because it's just, you know, there's been so much written and said about Bamford and scoring goals and maybe he's, he's been guilty of a couple of misses in, in, in recent games. But what a season he's having, isn't he? And what a season, you know, Leeds... Are, are, are having they're, they're terrific to watch and I, I actually personally think he, he deserves it and I think it's nice that Leeds are getting a bit of recognition I think guys who wants yeah to look it? he's um, he's had a good season mm. he's playing in a team that, that create a lot of chances because they're mm. very attacking minded um, they're a bit one dimensional in the way they play I think if you're looking at Leeds as an overview you think well you know if they They've done well this season. They've established themselves mid-table, which is you know fantastic for your first season back in the top flight. They now think, well, what what's the next step? Do we try and challenge for Europe? If they want to do that, they probably need to sharpen up at the back. Mm. Pretty pretty vulnerable at the back at times. They concede a lot of goals from set pieces, so um, that's the next challenge for Bielsa um, and. They need to be more adaptable during games because he has one way of going about it. And if it comes off, it makes him look brilliant. If it doesn't, they get a tonking. So, um, but yeah, Bamford's done well. He's, he's the leading scorer, Englishman in the league this season. He above Kane. He's, uh, he's, Kane, Kane, Kane has got a hell of a lot of goals in all competitions, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he's in the league. I think he's um, a joint top or he's top by one. Anyway, mm-hmm. I hope he gets picked. It will be recognition. It'll, it'll prove the fact that, you know, you don't have to be at one of the elite clubs to get mm. a look in with Southgate. If you're playing well, you get picked. Now, long term, <laughs> so many options available to Southgate in attack. Mm. You know, you could reel off 10 names. So is he at that level of a Kane? No. Um, or a Rashford? No. He's a different type of player, Bamford. He's not a link man. He's got a good control. He's not got a lot of pace, though, which I think will be his, it will count against him at, the, at that elite level of England. Southgate likes a lot of speed in his team up front. So, but no, fair play to him. If he gets picked, it's, it's deserved. And, um, you know, if he gets a game against San Marino or whoever, he could score, you know, yeah. he could do well. And then, you know, he's on the fringes though for the Euros. I think it's too late for him to, to probably do enough to get in a squad for the Euro. But, you know, I think if you play well, you should be recognised. Yeah, he, I agree with that. I mean, we, we are opening the door. Sorry, sorry. Can we just clarify that he's the third. Highest oh, is he? Right. Uh, Calvert Lewin and Kane are above him. But I would have to say this is the best ever breakthrough season I think a 27 year old's ever had. I mean, right. that's the trouble. 
Chelsea signed him 2012 was when they identified someone with talent and said, let's pay a load of money to Nottingham Forest for this player. Hmm. If he was doing this in 2013, 2014, uh, then, then you'd be excited about it. But, you know, it hasn't happened for him for various reasons. Uh, and, and it is great that he's, he's having his moment in the sun at the moment. But I'm not quite sure what Southgate's doing, thinking let's bring him into the fold unless he's that sure of numbers that... Does, you know, some of us should be bringing out boots. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just think, Matt, it is a case of what you think a national team's for. I know it's a, it's a broad, uh, very esoteric question, but, you know, should he be, should it also be a reward for how you play? You know, should it also be, should, yeah. you know, should you, otherwise we would just be picking players that they have their futures way ahead of them. And should it at times, well, well actually, you know what, do we, do we think that Patrick Bamford is going to be a key figure in, in in the Euros this summer or indeed in World Cup 2022 in Qatar? Well, no, probably none of us do. But, you know, should it be, you know, should you be overlooked just because of your age? Should you be overlooked just because you've been a very slow burn, as suggestion Patrick Bamford is? I think it's just, I think it's just a nice message to send out. It's, it's a nice reward for him. What I would say is, one, I'm amazed because I thought when he went off injured, but the game I was at last Saturday, it looked like a, a proper, you know, decent, can't say decent, sort of serious looking injury. So, but clearly, Bielsa must have told um, Southgate that Bamford is fit and 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 um, and can and, and can play. So, I, I'm surprised at that. Secondly, the other thing with Bamford is, is that what I would say is that strange enough, after he did go off against Chelsea after about I can't remember half an hour, 25 minutes. Leeds really struggled without him. I mean, I mean, mm. he really has found a, a, a team in which he is absolutely central to, 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 to the way they play. He's everything to the way they play. You know, when he's there as the link man, as the fulcrum, as the target man up there, and linking that play, that is the way that... And when, when he went off, I mean, bizarre as it seems, when you think about the great way they play Leeds, the fluency, you know, and the talented players they've got throughout the team. When Bamford went, without Bamford, you just thought, you know, they look a different team. Uh, yeah. And every argument you've made there, Andy, is exactly the same reason why it was mm. brilliant that Kevin Davis got 20 minutes playing for England. Yes, exactly. Um, You'll never take them away from As long as we see it in that sort of yes. bracket for Bamford, then, then yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, Kevin Davis, <laughs> by rights, yeah, he was a young teenager when he was with Chesterfield. Yes. Showed all that promise. Came back and he was the most pantomime 20 minutes of Wembley. It was like, Every long ball lumped up to him, and and this was clearly going nowhere for England. It was doing nothing for England. And okay, if that's what Patrick Bamford decides in a time when Southgate's struggling to play, yeah. but but let's not get carried away that he's going to suddenly. Yeah, yeah, but what I mean is, we, 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 we keep that in mind. Then fair enough. Yeah, no, perhaps yeah. You should, yeah. we've seen. We yes, I, I, yeah, and we have seen in the last yeah. year or so, particularly with certain players. You know, Connor Cody, example, springs to mind. And actually, he's one who might sort of book that trend. But just to start with, we've seen over the last year what, what it means to individual players to be to be called up. We've seen, you know, in, in even over Zoom, you know, we, we've seen them in tears about being called up, about them, you know, something to tell the children, the grandchildren. That's what it means. So, mm. you know, that, that will be... And and in Connor Cody's case, for example, when, when he's called up, you're thinking, you know, Straight away, and he says that about what it meant to him and his family. And you're still thinking, well, actually, you know what? He's called up. We've got loads of centrals, and and this will be nice for him. But after that, but as it happens, he has probably made himself now someone who, going forward, will be a part of of England going forward. And so it's not just a sort of 
uh, sort of something for him to tell his kids about the, the time he had a run out against Denmark in Copenhagen in front of no one. This actually, he's now thinking, hang on, I could be part of this team. So that could happen to Bamford. He could come in he could, and, he, and, he, and he could establish himself. It's probably unlikely. But I think that is important that he means something. And, and, and you're right, you know, Kevin Davis, he's still got... I mean, it's funny, isn't it, really? Because I was thinking about it when, when um, about those little, um, those cameos. We used to call David them... Nugent. Well, David, the two cap wonders, we used to call them, your first and your last. And um, and do you remember, because because he moved recently, Ryan Shawcross was a belter on that front, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He got remember him coming on? on. Game, didn't he? Yeah. Do you yeah. remember against Sweden, the, the yeah. Ibrahimovic game? Yeah. And the poor guy, you know, who, who a lot of people have been talking about getting into the England team, eventually gets into the squad. That's the whole Aaron Ramsey business. Gets into the squad, then comes on against Sweden as a sub, gets done by Slatten early, early on in that, whatever. Slatten goes on to score to three or four, oh. um, including that goal. Go. And then, and that was it. And that is, you, you know, now it's funny, I, I'm not sure whether Shawcross will be... Um, um, telling his grandkids about his one. No. Who was the centre? Who was the centre? Oh, remember that time I played for England? Who was the centre half who got horribly, horribly turned on the edge of the box against Spain? And I was just thinking, oh my days, who was it? Anyway, gone out my head. Anyway, but the one, right, the one right. I always yeah. look to, and you know, um, is the cameo one is Jay Bothroyd. Yes, Jay Bothroyd. Right, basically, you know. Incredibly talented guy, and you, you know, very nice guy. I must say, in my experience, and then basically, it just means the world to him. You know, whatever he does in his in his career, basically, I always remember I, I saw him after the game. You know, he was with his family after after the game, leaving Wembley, and I saw him, and he, it just meant the world to him that that yeah. night when he yeah. when he played for England. I mean, yeah. it was just the culmination of everything that he'd worked yeah. to, driven to in his in his career. Yeah, people will knock his achievements in the game. The thing is, as well, right. Cossie, he's that, better than all of us. He's done that, better than all of us. He's achieved all of our dreams yes. by playing for England. Since it's, um, what an achievement! What an yeah. achievement! Since and while that South- is the pinnacle, England will always be important. Yeah. And yeah. Southgate's been good on that since he took mm-hmm. over as manager. He's made players cherish the shirt and and, and, enjoy, and try to learn to enjoy being an England player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw for decades, didn't we? Oh, well, years at least. Several players admitting anything goals or on. They hated joining up with England because of all the hoo-ha mm. and pressure that went with it and the negativity. And Southgate's done well to change that perception. Yeah, he has. I, I would say it can be lucrative as well because I, I once picked up £10 off Bill Bradshaw, um, a former sports editor, from uh, when I was doing the player ratings for an international in 2012 and put against Fraser Campbell's name, a uh, decent cameo for his first and last England appearance. Obviously, Sunderland's number one fan came. You can't put that in my paper in my section. Uh, and we we had a ten pound bet on it, which was payable on Fraser Campbell's thirtieth birthday. That if he had another cap before then, uh, then then I would uh, have to pay Mr. Bradshaw his ten pounds. And and uh, Bill Julie came up with the goods, but. Uh, but yeah, there's so many players that come into the squad that you well, think. Well, I mean, there's Donny Reveling in predicting someone's demise. It's like, yeah. it's just one of those, like but it's one of those times that you think this is going nowhere. You can see it's off the moment. Guess uh, what? I predicted this guy wasn't going to be Maybe you should just be England manager, darling. That, you know, that's what I'm saying. Just to hell with it. Just to is if uh, he, he recalls Luke Shaw. Because Luke Shaw, I've seen a lot of Shaw this season. He's playing really, really well for United. 
Yeah. It looks I, funny I, like that player I, I think he should. all those years ago. But. Yeah, I think he should. And I also think that basically that should mean then that Bakayo Saka should be, should be considered. I mean, he has got a hamstring injury, I have to say. So I don't know whether it would be really, you know, fit to completely give his all for England. But basically, you know, I think he should be considered as a forward. I think he's the best young player in, in the country. And yes, I do include Phil Foden simply because of his sheer importance to one particular team right now. And I just think that Foden, you know, arguably is going to be a better long-term player and turn out, you know, but we could have this debate all day, but yeah. it'd really be really interesting. But I hope Shaw gets in. He certainly deserves to on, on performances. Guys, we do we do welcome some questions and, and we've had a hell of a lot about saying about Gabriel Martin, Martinelli, what's gone on there. But, the, uh, uh, you know, which, it, you know, clearly a brilliant, brilliant player. But here's one that I saw from e- e- Ethan uh, Henson earlier. Um, just saying that basically, and, and Danny, you referred to this earlier, how was that basically does oh, Sterling yeah. still get in Gareth Southgate's best 11? I have to say, absolutely categorically, I, I, I think yes. But what, what do we think, guys? Um, on those, in Southgate's best, I was saying, um, yes, I do. I, I, I think he does. I, I, I think, well, I mean, just basically the answer is yes. I think he, I think he should get in Pep Guardiola's best 11, but at the moment, mm-hmm. I don't think Guardiola probably thinks um, that. Yes, I think he, I think I think he does get in England's best eleven. I, I think it's it's been shown. He's been shown. He's shown on so many occasions the the um, how important he is to England and combinations with other players, you know, and with Harry Kane. And I would stick with him at the moment. Yeah, I don't I don't see any reason to change that. I don't see any reason. I don't think he's had his best season, um, Raheem Sterling. Certainly, I don't think he's had his best season. You know, in front of goal. Um, I think we, we we've all known throughout his career that the finishing can be a bit, how should you say, mercurial. You know, sometimes it can be absolutely inspired. Sometimes it can be fairly uninspiring. But yes, absolutely, I, I, I've still got him in my first choice England team. That's for sure. Yeah, the the, the door is open, guys, for a new goalkeeper, mm. isn't it? Because we've got these three back to back without Jordan Pickford mm. because he's out now for two three weeks. You know, does <laughs> Nick should Nick Pope play them all? Basically, and, and and does do we think that Nick Pope is a viable contender to, to to be number one at, at the Euros this summer if he does well? Nick Pope's never conceded a goal for England, is he? Still, <laughs> still not done it. He's close. I think it's Peter Shilton or something. The record first six games or something. He, he could break that this week. What I would say is let's not play goalkeeper number four, five, and six in, in these internationals. Let's Jordan Pickford's going to come back. You know, touch wood. He's going to play in the Euros. He's going to be England's top three, one of their top three choices. Let's give a goalkeeper at least two games, uh, you know, and possibly all three in Nick Pope to give them some experience because that's the big problem. Is behind Pickford, no one's got any experience. And if you share that out, you know, widely between three other candidates, suddenly you've got nobody with any experience. Uh, and I think this is an opportunity, I hope, uh, for Southgate to make a decision on who is his number two is if you like, and uh, and stick with him for perhaps all three games to start building some rapport with the defenders in front of him. He took Pickford, he took Pickford to Russia with no experience. He played about three times for England before he went to the World But that's what I mean. You can't take a whole squad of goalkeepers with no it's experience. It's a pickle, this. We're back it's to pickles, sorry. <laughs> because for Southgate, simply because Pope will probably be his, his starting goalkeeper in these this next run of games. And if Pope plays really well, what does he do with Pickford? Does he does he go back to Pickford come June? Does he stick with Pope? The problem he's got with Henderson, of course, is not well. He's he's played lately at United because De Gea got um, 
allowed to go back home. But um, Henderson's not played enough this season, really, to make a judgment on him. So and he, he should have done better with the AC Milan equaliser last week. So that he didn't do himself any favours there. So it's an interesting scenario, the goalkeeper situation, because there are still people who aren't convinced Pickford should be number one. Yeah. You know, he's still capable of the of the um, calamitous mistake. So, you know, it's not... But not so much for England, though. That's been Southgate's point. And if he believes in Pickford as his number one, he's got to pick a number two, whether that's Henderson or Pope. He's got to make a decision, yeah. you know, from what he sees in the start of training in this get-together and go with that goalkeeper for at least two and if not three of the game. Yeah, I agree with if that. He, yeah. If he fancies Henderson, then go with him. If yeah. he thinks Pope's going to be playing more yeah. often, then go with him, but you can't spread that experience between too many people because mm. you only need one, possibly two goalkeepers yeah. in a tournament. But, lads, don't forget, I mean, it's San Marino, it's Albania, it's Poland at home. You know, Crossy can play in goal. I'll tell you I mean, what, m- maybe I'll use for Poland, but let's see. Let's, 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 into that other game against San Marino, you suddenly I mean, I mean, I mean what, what sorts of rapport are they going to build up with, with, with the rest of the team? You know, I mean, what is that? Shout at them from distance. I mean, I just, I honestly think that the goalkeeper situation is like with a lot of England's game now, the build up to a tournament. You can take, you take the best, the goalkeeper who's in the best form going into a tournament. You know, whoever that may be in the closing weeks and months of, of this season, that's the goalkeeper. Whether it be, listen, if Henderson keeps his place in Manchester United team and is outstanding, I'd start with him. If Pope has a good end of the season, I'd start with him. If Pickford comes back and, and whatever. I, I'm not, I, I, I genuinely think um, games at home to San Marino, way to Albania, then home to Poland are pretty much in the grand goalkeeping scheme of things. Pretty irrelevant in terms of who's gonna who's gonna start. I mean, for what it's worth, I think you know, long term, it's probably Henderson will be his number one keeper going forward, long term. But I would just literally play who's the best, who's who's been keeping the best goal between now and the end of the season in club football. Mm. He's not going to learn much, is he doing it? That's the point. What's he going to learn? You know, from his goalkeeper, whoever he picks against. What I'd say though, in the modern the, the game at the moment. It's so much football's played across using the goalkeeper as, as the sweeper that actually you pick who you're going to want. He's not going to suddenly show himself to be a great goalkeeper, but he's going to get used to picking the ball up from Trent Alexander-Arnold, knocking it on to Harry Maguire or whatever. Uh, and just those simple things that can go calamitously wrong. You've got 90 more minutes of having stood there, got used to that in an England shirt under the spotlight and not having mucked up. Uh, and uh, and that's what I mean. Uh, you, you're right. You're not going to learn anything about his goalkeeping prowess, but but he's going to feel more comfortable when he's in a bigger game and, and the ball's rolling across his area to him to just do the simple things well. And, and that's all you can give a goalkeeper is a bit of that experience. And San Marino is capable of belting the ball forward and having you know um, somebody Luke Shaw turn it back to the goalkeeper and just play football for a little bit. And that's all you can get for, as a goalkeeper from these games. You would hope. Yeah, yeah, you would hope so. Listen, guys, I'm going to move on to something a bit, you know, uh, much more serious, really, and and this week, and and, and you know, um, just about, um, uh, you know, on the Sheldon report this week. Uh, now, I think you know most of us have written about it uh, today, and it, it's something that obviously has really shocked football uh, to its to its to its very core. 
um, you know, one of the clubs obviously inextricably linked to to this scandal because of, you know, uh, people that have worked there, Dario Grady, who's obviously now we learn has been banned from 2016 and Barry Burnell, who obviously worked there as a coach and now, you know, linked to, to Crew Alexandra. And Andy, you, you know Crew, mm. you know, so, so well. And, you know, covered the club, didn't you, you, you know, for... Uh, as well, and kind of no, no people there. How much is how much has this scandal shocked you, and how much of uh, you know what sort of you know lessons can be learned moving forward for football? Because it, 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 you know, we're talking about many years ago, but mm-hmm. this week I think has still stunned us all. You know, hasn't it really about the sheer levels of of abuse going on in football years gone by? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I think we'll be I think we'll be even more stunned after. The BBC is its um, three-part documentary, um, which starts on Monday, um, and I think you will be even more um, shocked um, and horrified after that um, three-part documentary, "Football's Darkest Secrets." You know, I mean, I think I think the Sheldon report has not has not particularly shocked, um, well, shocked any people with it who have shown an interest. In such a terrible scandal, you know, it was four, it was over four years in the, in the publication. And to be quite frank, it's, you know, it's, it's a long report with, you know, and, and there are no accusations. There are no heads on stakes. There are no smoking guns. It, it, it's, it's basically what, what you, what you might expect. My fear, you know, you're right. I, I know, I know the area well. I know, I know the club. I also, I also know a couple of the survivors, um, quite well. Um, and I think they are, I think we, we shouldn't lose sight. I've written this this morning. We shouldn't lose sight that they are still out there and they are still, as you can imagine, to varying indeed struggling to cope with the, mm-hmm. with, with the unimaginable, um, torture that they've been through. And I just think that we must always remember that while we're trying to say, well, you know, what lessons are to be learned? How do we, you know, make things better going forward? Um, we look for systemic failures. Let's just forget that, you know, what happened to these people happened on football's watch, you know, not just Drew Alexander's watch or Manchester City's watch or any individual club's watch. It happened on football's watch and football's now got that responsibility to still look after the survivors and their families. And and listen, you know, there are, you know, there are survivors who, to be honest, you didn't survive. I mean, let's get that right, you know, so and their families need looking after and I think I think we, we should not lose sight of that and they should be looked after or tried to be looked after in any way possible and listen if that means you know if, if that means it, um, we bring football's you know financial might to help out people it, it, whatever way we can we've got we've got to think that I think now the you know the ramifications of the Sheldon report as I say are I mean, probably not that great in the sense that, you know, I, I mean, Gary Cliff, one of those survivors, mm. um, you know, said he didn't think it had gone up far enough. Um, and, you know, I don't think when you, when you look at that and you come out to it, you think, well, actually, you know, here's, here's something that we can, we can say, oh, it was you to blame. It was this to blame. It was whatever. I just think, as I say, I just think, I think going forward, yes, of course, it, it's just so important that we, could, we, we, everyone does their best to make sure that this, Anything like this, or even the semblance of it, can happen again. But also, as I say, I just think those people continue, the victims continue to be out there and suffer, and they continue to be, they should be football's priority. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it was a, uh, 
very sobering date. So, mm. uh, you know, your, your thoughts with it. And it'll be very interesting. We'll watch that BBC documentary next week, as, as you rightly say. Mm. Um, listen, we, we, we are going to try, you know, to uh, uh, finish on, on a funny note and just without sort of kind of and finally um, uh, uh, at, at the end there. And, uh, and I think he... Uh, uh, on the back of a very sort of kind of sobering day yesterday, a few people were amused to see a sort of a story on on uh, appear suddenly about an allegation that Terry Fennick, the former England defender, um. had, um, <laughs> which was quite remarkable, had allegedly headbutted a press officer in some sort of row and dispute <laughs> managing abroad. And um, and I was just going to ask you, really, sort of for recollections, guys, of perhaps your funniest. Um, or, or most bizarre uh, press conference um, memory. Of, well, on the subject of, of oh, sobering, uh, sorry. ironic that you mentioned sobering because I think you might have been at this press conference, Dunny. Were you at the Anderlecht press conference with Leeds in <laughs> 2001? I vaguely recall it, yes. So we turned up at Anderlecht. Leeds were playing them in the Champions League and um, they'd set aside this room for David O'Leary's press conference. But at the back of the room was a free bar. So the, the guy who was stood on the door basically just said, help yourself to a beer, lads, if you want one. And so we were like, it was like a red rag to a bull, <laughs> several, several bulls. So we all basically went behind the bar and just started pouring our own beers. And O'Leary was really late. So he was like an hour late, I remember. By the time he got to the, the press conference, we were literally half, half drunk. And it, so, we, so I went and sat down with a beer and was feeling, I probably had about four or five beers by this point. It was strong Belgian beer, obviously. <laughs> and one man who shall remain nameless remained behind the bar during the press conference. O'Leary was just looking over, looking totally perplexed by what was going on. There was lots of giggling at the back of the room and general <laughs> sort of infantile behaviour from grown men. Like there was a press guy stood behind the bar asking him questions while he stood behind the bar with a pint in his hand. And then the following day, we played the um, the Belgian press and it was humiliating. People being sick at the side of the pit. <laughs> just passing out. I've never felt as horrific as I did that day on a football pitch. It was it was horrendous. <laughs> Way too much alcohol to be consumed. So that's one of my that's one of my favourite <laughs> press conferences. You won't be surprised okay. to hear. Give it, give it us a good rap here, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Thanks uh, for that. Come across you, do you, do, are you aware, or were you there? Um, if I if I say David Seaman and Legoland to you. No, I wasn't there, but it's an absolute belter. It is. It is. It's at a time when um, um, there was a big North London derby coming up. Big, massive North London derby, as if you know, every North London derby is massive, obviously. And they, um, and I, I mean, David Seaman, David Seaman, as we all know, was was quite reticent at times. I mean, like you know, when he was on duty, international duty, you'd walk through the hotel, and David Seaman, you know, be walking the other way, and you'd say, "Morning, Simo," and he'd just looking, "Oh, you're not getting me on that one." You <laughs> think come on, follow up. You know? And there was also, and then there was a the famous time, of course, one of our. Um, um, one of our colleagues ghosted his column at one tournament and and, and and they were beaten. Who were they beaten by? They were beaten by, I can't remember. They were beaten by, beaten by someone, a couple of goals. It will, re- but basically do the column and Seaman says, oh, oh, like, we went through the video and like, you know, we analyzed this and analyzed that and we went through and we have the specialist coaches in whatever. 
And they said, what was the conclusion? He said, oh, just one of those things, wasn't it? And then, if you remember, the World Cup, World Cup 2002, David Seaman wouldn't speak to us for the entire tournament. And then, when after the quarterfinals, of course, he'd been, um, let's say, complicit in England losing, he came into the mix zone wanting to talk, was in tears, and was famously booed by one of our by one of our colleagues who should remain nameless. Oh no, you got to name him. No, no, I can't. He, he, he's now retired. Um, I, can't, I can't possibly. But I've got, I've got to say to the, the, great, the great story about that one. Well, also. No, I'm coming to the other story. I can go on. Well, was just very quickly on that one. He was in tears in the mix zone. Who, who, should, who should comfort him and try to say, "Don't worry, David. It's yes. all right. It'll be okay. You've had a wonderful career." Check, try to it? sort of show him, Mark Irwin. Was it Mark Irwin? Yeah, well, let's just say it was one of Mark Irwin's colleagues who actually booed him into the next zone. <laughs> to be fair, David Seaman hadn't spoken to us for the entire tournament and then watches one of Ronaldinho's go in and then and then he comes in tears into the mix zone. But the Lego Land one's a classic because so it's ahead of a North London derby. And um, and it was you know, it, it was real. I mean, tensions were running high apparently ahead of this derby. And we find out as you sometimes do. That a player through his contractual, his commercial contracts is, is actually doing an appearance for someone, you know, promoting something. And David Seaman is down at Legoland in Windsor, <laughs> opening some ride at Legoland. So all the boys and girls troop down there to, like, you know, so it's Thursday before the weekend's game, right? So this Legoland ride opens this. Seymour, like, comes into the press. And I'm like, oh, like, this is a great ride, this Legoland. You know, I have told you about my fishing down the lake by Legoland. And then someone so says to him, like, you know, okay, well, listen, you know, big game Saturday, bit of a six-pointer, you know, bragging rights. Oh, 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 I'm only talking about Lego. What? <laughs> so, so the brief was, you could only ask David Seaman ahead of a North London derby about Lego. So, 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 so the, the, everyone's piling in saying, okay, well, listen, let's imagine Tony Adams is one of those big Lego bricks. You know, the ones you use at the base of one of those big Lego hardware. And so and so is Lego. In terms of Lego, how important? <laughs> so we do an entire press conference, basically. With the North London Derby reimagined as some Lego encounter, <laughs> and David only talking about Lego. I mean, it's just well, I mean, I mean, a great one, and, and, and we were all sober. Brilliant, brilliant, <laughs> love it, love it, love it. What was like the final conclusion? If, if both teams were Lego, who would win? It was basically <laughs> essentially that it, it was that it, it was it, it, it was like you know, and uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure he saw the, the, the funny side or bought into it, but of course we all know that when people have gone to press comments and they don't they want to espouse the virtues of whatever they're being paid to promote. But yes, yeah. Lego, one of the most classic. Yeah, Matt. Well, again, I'm following Andy, aren't I? But, um, <laughs> rather than the, the press conference with the worst with the worst questions, I'm going to try and trump that with the, the press conference with no questions, which was uh, when uh, in Blackburn when Satanta were first trying to to battle with Sky Sports News and their 24 hour rolling television coverage, and written papers were being shoved aside so that these two heavyweights could really get locked into all the press conferences and we were kind of made to watch around the edges. Um, and one morning at Blackburn, Satanta obviously doing it on the cheap as they were, used to just send cameramen to certain press conferences um, and not a reporter. 
uh, and Sky on this particular occasion, the Sky reporter was stuck in snow, I think it was, uh, and had was half an hour late. But they had to get going to get Mark Hughes wanted to get training underway, so they started it. So the, the press conference, genuine, the entire press conference lasted of any questions, at which point they realized there was not a single re- television reporter in the room. So there was a stunned silence. The press officer nudged a couple of the press guys and said, can you ask a question? And we were like, saying, no, we're not doing that because we're going to get our two minutes that you give us afterwards. We're not wasting it on them. And then eventually a cameraman said, is there any team news, Mark? Because he, he basically shouted that from behind the camera. Uh, and Mark Hughes went through the list of injuries and said, right, is that it then? Yes, gents. And that was it. That was the end of the press conference. Fantastic. <laughs> <love it. laughs> yeah, that, that was probably the most worthwhile period there. They, they set it up all the cameras and and it's all done for television. And, and actually, there was no one there to ask any questions. Love it. Like when Ridstar got a seat for a manager. Do you remember you that one, gents? Which one? When they unveiled the, the chair as a new manager, they thought they were going to sign Martin O'Neill as a new. Oh yeah, and he yeah, called a press conference and went through with it, even yeah. though they hadn't got the deal with, and he was there having a press conference next yeah. to the That's funny. Yeah. What's your eyes crossing? Oh dear, I was hoping you. Hey, while you're thinking there, Crossy, of course, what, 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 one of the um, what, one of the great ones, obviously. I mean, and God rest his soul. I mean, going back, Graham Taylor. Yeah, you know, do I? You know, the World Cup, uh, the, um, the 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 press conference, uh, put a smile on your face, Rob. I mean, that's got to go down as one of the all-time classics, hasn't well, it? Joe Kinnear. Oh, Joe Kinnear, yes. <laughs> that was about... I mean, I wasn't there, but I read the transcript. I would have loved to have been in that room for that press conference. That was remarkable. I had a really silly, similar one to, uh, to to Matt, actually, that I remember, was there was some sort of kind of, you know, some sort of row behind the scenes or something, you know, sort of an Arsenal, really, and sort of ahead of a... Head of a uh, a, a game and so basically you know Wenger always used to do a little separate for the newspapers and in the golden days we'd just sort of kind of also have a, get him in a little separate room and sort of kind of he'd, he'd be really good fun great entertainment blimey served up a few of my a few chapters from my book you know in that uh, <laughs> in that in that in that wonderful room but anyway so there's a bit of a dispute going on basically he's saying oh he won't do a separate today because he's got the hump over something I always suspect it's probably the press officer who's got the hump rather than Wenger who just didn't seem to worry about anything. I always remember a great story about, you know, basically he made some spurious remark about how he wouldn't basically manage Real Madrid even if he was on the streets. And I think someone, someone paper dressed him up as a tramp. We only mentioned this sort of like, <laughs> tramp in the, in the intro and apparently he was fuming about this. I saw him a few days later at an airport and basically said, oh, sorry about that. And then he said, what are you going on about? Didn't have the, fog, the foggiest really. So in Anyway, but basically, um, uh, we were told the the press conference would have to be all in, as they say, basically. So all your questions would basically be, you know, filmed and used uh, for the benefit of TV. And we always, as newspaper journalists, we're always so precious and so self-important that, of course, we always think our our questions are always better. And of course they are. Um, But basically, you know, so wasn't best pleased about this anyway. so, So anyway, the day, previous day, uh, Arsenal were trying to sign Gary Cahill at the time from um, from Bolton and had made a ludicrously low offer. And the Bolton chairman had come out publicly effing and blinding about Arsenal's offer. And basically, so 
So being particularly childish that day, I repeated quite literally what the Bolton chairman had said uh, so that the TV cameras would immediately have to stop filming. <laughs> and so it was, yeah. So I like to think of that as a small, tiny little victory um, in, being, in, being silly, in being a really particularly silly one, really. But, um, but there you go. The one that also sort of kind of, you remember sort of the Andorra, Steve McLaren. Oh, yes. When basically he got the, you know, after telling after telling sort of the, the, apparently looking as if he was sort of encouraging the England team bus driver to sort of try and run over one of our colleagues because yeah. he had so much of the hump about the basic what had been said and written. And then basically he only took, I think, two questions. Right what you want, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, write what you want. And basically, you know, I, I, I asked, you know, I was particularly having a particularly sort of, you know, uh, difficult relationship with him with him at the time. And basically I was one of the ones to to ask one of the questions and and basically stormed out after the question. And basically there he is, kind of, you know, storming out of the room. And whenever Sky run a piece on Steve McLaren, there I am at the front of the press conference laughing my head off at the sheer bizarre nature of this press conference, which isn't, I have to say, a very good look at all. Apologise, Steve. Um, and, and basically that that was it, really. So uh, anyway, yeah, most mm. bizarre. No one ever trumped Dunny, so we might as well give it up. So, But anyway, but there you go. But guys, nice to see you all. And um, thanks so much for your company. It's Champions League draw, of course, tomorrow. Mm. So, uh, so it'll be very interesting to see what, what everyone gets. Europa League tonight. And uh, in England squad in the meantime. So plenty to go on. Hope we've uh, kept you entertained. And thanks so much for watching. Um, and hopefully see you at the same time, same place next week. 